Well, if you have your Bible with you, uh, you can go ahead and turn to the letter uh, to the Ephesians in the New Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you're welcome to use one of the Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. What we're doing this fall is we are working our way through the letter to the Ephesians. And the reason that we have chosen this book of the Bible for this season is because back in September at a congregational meeting, we introduced a new vision and mission and values to you as a congregation. Um, if you look at one of the, view, the vision cards and the Purex in front of you, you can see it all written out there. And what you'll notice is that all of the scripture references for the vision statement, mission statement, and values all come from the book of Ephesians. And so what we're doing this fall is we are unpacking the vision uh, for City Church by going through um, this letter. Uh, We are going to be looking at the second half of chapter 2 this morning, so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I'm going to go ahead and read those verses for us. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him both we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Spirit, we look to you. We pray that you would be near to us in this moment. Apply the word of God to our minds and our hearts. We pray that you would change us by the word. Give us an experience of Jesus. We pray for his glory and our good. Amen. There's a scene uh, toward the end of the Gospel of Luke in which Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. These two disciples are really sad. They're really sad because as far as they are concerned, Jesus has just been crucified and he's dead. But Jesus has actually been raised from the dead. And it's Jesus who uh, comes alongside of them on this road and begins to talk to them. And eventually he begins to 
unpack the Old Testament scriptures for them to declare the truth about himself. And just after that scene, there's this moment where these two disciples are talking about the encounter that they had with Jesus. And they say, did our hearts not burn within us as Jesus unpacked the scriptures to us on the road? Have you ever had an experience like that in which you just felt the presence of Jesus and you felt like he was unpacking the scriptures for you? Well, one uh, moment in my life in which I've had that kind of experience was in the summer of 2000, I believe. And this summer, I was uh, serving as a pastoral intern at a multi-ethnic church plant here in Delaware. Uh, That previous uh, spring semester of college, I had written a paper uh, on uh, the book of Acts and the vision that the book of Acts presents for uh, the reader, for the church, for pursuing a multi-ethnic ministry. And as I was working on, um, as I was thinking about all of this stuff and had the opportunity to put it into practice that summer in serving at the multi-ethnic church plant, I remember specifically one time I was sitting in my my bedroom at my desk and um, there was a newsletter that I had helped the the church start that summer and I was writing an article, this was at the end of the summer, uh, for the newsletter about my uh, experience and what I had learned over the course of the summer. And as I was looking at various scriptures throughout the Bible, I had this moment that I uh, remember, it's unforgettable to me, in which I realized this vision for a multi-ethnic church, for a, a, a diverse family of God, is actually the theme of scripture from beginning to end. Like, I I can't, I mean, if you've had these kind of experiences in your life, whether it's in religious settings or in other settings, you know what I'm talking about, where you almost feel like time is standing still, like everything else in the world is pausing, right? And I just remember thinking, like, I see it. I see it so clearly, and my heart burned within me as Jesus literally, by his spirit, unpacked the scriptures for me to see that this vision of a multi-ethnic church is the theme from Scripture from beginning to end. Well, one of the passages that I wrestled with that summer was the passage that we're looking at this morning, the passage that I just read for us from Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 through 22. And in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul casts a vision for a multi-ethnic church, for a church that is made up of people who have... Uh, diverse stories and backgrounds. And so as we look at this passage, I want to kind of look at it through a couple different lenses. One, I want to look at both the vertical and horizontal aspects of the gospel, and then I want to just talk a little bit about the implications of all of this, okay? So let's talk about the vertical and horizontal dimensions of the gospel as we see it here in this passage. Now, before we actually get into some of the details of this passage, I need to draw our attention back to last week's passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So there are, there are basically two um, sections in this chapter. Verses 1 through 10 is clearly a distinct section, and then verses 11 through 22, the section we're looking at this morning, is another distinct section. Verses 1 through 10, if you were here last week, really um, outlines the good news of the gospel for us. But it actually begins 
by um, giving us a reminder of the bad news, right? The bad news. The bad news of how Paul says that we are dead, outside of Jesus, apart from Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. But then there's that turning point in verse 4 where it says, but God. And it goes on to talk about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ to change our plight, to change our situation. And so there's a shift from bad news to good news. We can think of that as the vertical aspect of the gospel, can't we? It's what God does for us in Jesus Christ to reconcile us to relationship with him, that primary, all-important relationship with God. Starting with verse 11, there's a little bit of a shift. Paul now wants to unpack the implications of all of that in verses 1 through 10. And what he does here is he begins to look at a horizontal plane. He begins to unpack some of the horizontal implications of that vertical aspect of the gospel. Now, I want to say this at the start. This is really, really important because what so often happens in the church, and like, I see this all the time, like when it comes to debates that are happening within church circles, it's like, it's like any debate, right? It's, it's, it's an either or, either or, and it, it seems to always be the case. It has to be this or it has to be that, but it can never be both. Why? Yeah, I don't know. Go figure. But here's how this debate oftentimes goes between the vertical and the horizontal aspect of the gospel. Some would say that the vertical aspect of the gospel is really kind of all there is. And so it's kind of like they stop reading after verse 10, right? They read the first 10 verses of, uh, of chapter 2, and it's all about the vertical aspect of the gospel. And we, what happens is we then minimize the horizontal aspects of the gospel. But then on the other side, maybe, of this debate are those who maybe skip over the first 10 verses of, of Ephesians chapter 2 and just begin with verse 11 and focus on verses 11 through 22. And what you have is only a focus on the horizontal aspect of the gospel. But what oftentimes happens with that perspective is there is no gospel because you've skipped over it. Well, we don't need to choose between the vertical and the horizontal aspects of the gospel, church family. And we will not choose between the two here at City Church. The Bible is holistic, the Bible casts a vision of us, even in just this one chapter, this is what Paul is doing. Paul is saying both the vertical aspect of the gospel and the horizontal aspect of the gospel is important. It is all part of the gospel, part of what God is doing in this world through Jesus Christ. And so let's not choose one over the other, but let's embrace them both, beginning with the vertical aspect of the gospel. And, and that's what Paul has done here in Ephesians 2. He has started with this focus on what God has done to restore us to relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And then beginning in verse 11, there's the key word that tells us that Paul is building a bridge between these two sections. It's a key word um, that indicates for us that Paul wants to hold both of these aspects, both of these realities together. What is that word? Therefore. Therefore. In other words, before we even begin reading, verse, uh, getting into verse 11, Paul wants to say, now, don't forget everything I just said. 
because it, it, it's all relevant. It's all related now to what I'm about to say. Don't forget it. It really is so nice having so much room here. I feel like I'm going to eventually like fall back backwards. And so Paul builds this bridge here between the vertical and horizontal aspects of the gospel. This is an amazing passage uh, about reconciliation. He begins talking to the Gentiles. Now, keep in mind here, um, Gentile was a word that simply uh, meant non-Jewish person. And for Jews at this time, they would often use this word in a... um, in a negative way, in a divisive way, those Gentiles, those people who aren't us, those people who are different from us, those people who aren't in with us, those people who aren't in with God, therefore. But the, the churches in Ephesus, um, and remember that, that, that uh, the churches in Ephesus were a network of churches. So Paul wrote this letter as a circular letter, meaning that it was meant to be distributed among these church plants that were really house churches meeting throughout this city. And Paul's desire was for his uh, letter to be read in these congregations, which it was. But these churches were made up predominantly um, of Gentile people. And I I want you to think a a little bit about maybe their perspective, about their experience coming into the Christian faith. You know, it would make sense if they wondered things like, is this really for us? You know, I, I believe the good news of Jesus and, you know, Jesus has done something. He, he's drawn me to himself. He, he's changed me. But is this really for us non-Jewish people? And so imagine how these folks in these congregations must have felt as they hear these verses in 11 through 22. They hear the good news of how they are not only reconciled to relationship with God, but because they are reconciled to relationship with God, they have a place of belonging in this community. It is for them. So Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. This was something that Jewish people would often refer to Gentiles as. Remember when I introduced the baptism, I mentioned circumcision and the, the, the role, uh, the sign that it played throughout the biblical story. Well, um, Israel rightly embraced that as a, as a sign, a tangible sign central to their identity, but they abused it. What was meant to be a sign of distinction, um, to set them apart so that they might be on mission to the world, they actually used it as a point of exclusion, to exclude others. And so they would refer to Gentiles as, oh, you uncircumcised people. In other words, you people who aren't us, you people who aren't like us. Paul goes on to say, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, now listen to to what he outlines here, that you were at one time separated from Christ, all right? So separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he's describing their plight. It's actually the same, it's not a different plight, than those in Israel would find themselves in, if you consider the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2, right? Those verses describe all of humanity, but Paul is now speaking specifically to Gentiles and their relationship to this community that gave birth, essentially, to the Christian faith. Separated from Christ you were, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. In other words, they were outsiders. Do you know what it's like to be an outsider? Yeah, some of you know better than others. Um, if you uh, live in, as a minority in this country, you know what it is like to live as an outsider in a way that I don't, in a way that us white folks don't, right? But it's not just in the area of race or ethnicity. Um, as we unpack it, like we can think in terms of culture, but then also class, and um, it could be all kinds of things. But we all know to some extent, again, some of us more than others, what it's like to be an outsider. And this is the situation that Paul is describing. And here's the thing about uh, 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 the gospel, the Christian faith. It, it, it unifies us in at least two different ways. One, there's a sense in which apart from Jesus, not a sense, it's true. Apart from Jesus, we were all outsiders. All of us. Every one of us. But because of the work of Jesus, we can be an insider regardless of race, regardless of class, regardless of these false markers that we use. So Paul is, he, he's going deep. He, he, he's wanting to really kind of hold out for them so that they might remember what it felt like to be an outsider because he's going to make the transition. It's actually not too different than the first 10 verses. Remember how it was the bad news and then a shift to the good news? Well, there's something similar going on here in this uh, second section of the chapter. Look at verse 13. It's the same shift, same language. But now. All right, so this was true, but now. What is the but now? In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, imagine yourself in a Gentile hearing, as a Gentile, hearing this letter read in Ephesus. You who were once far off have now been brought near. You have been given a place of belonging. You are no longer an outsider. You are a legit insider. He doesn't stop there. For he, this is really, I think, cool. For he, talking about Jesus, for Jesus himself is our peace. You know, we're used to talking about peace as an idea, peace as maybe a state that we're trying to uh, arrive at or achieve. But Paul says that Jesus himself personally is our peace. This word peace has its roots in the Hebrew word shalom. It's a word that we throw around here at City Church um, every so often. Um, hopefully, we always are uh, defining it when we do, because it might be unfamiliar to some of you. But the word shalom, um, it, it, it means peace, but we, when we think of peace, we usually think of like the absence of conflict, don't we? The absence of warfare. But the biblical word here for peace is so much more than that. It's not just simply the absence of conflict or warfare. It actually points to flourishing. It points to harmony. Now, I want you to think about something. If we go back early on in the biblical story, we have what is described for us as the fall of the human race. Uh, Adam and Eve run away from relationship with God. And it's interesting what happens because what happens is there is an, uh, a disharmony 
that emerges in their vertical relationship with God. That's first and foremost. We see that immediately. Um, we're told in the, the, the text about the fall um, how Adam and Eve, they um, were, realized they were naked and they, they went and hid because they felt shame. So there's now this disharmony in the vertical relationship with God. But, but that's not it. We, we, we also, that, that guilt and shame, there's disharmony within the human beings no longer function in the way that they're meant to, but it doesn't end there. We uh, right away see disharmony in relationship with one another. Adam and Eve start blame shifting. They, they, you know, they were a strategic team up to this point that were um, created by God to care for his creation, and now they're fighting. They're warring with each other. And not only that, but there's disharmony in how Adam and Eve begin to relate to the physical, their physical environment. Sin and its consequences are reach far and wide. And these implications are both vertical and horizontal. And what we need from that point on in the biblical story, or what I should say, what is longed for from that point on is shalom, is peace. So that gives you a little bit of context here for how cool this is. Because what Paul is saying is that Jesus is our shalom. Our peace comes to us not as an idea, not simply as a state that we long for, but it comes to us as a person. The very personal presence of Jesus is shalom for us. He goes on, what does it mean that Jesus is our peace? Well, he made us both one as, as he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. We'll stop there for the moment. So Paul talks in terms of this division, this dividing wall uh, between humanity, specifically Jews and Gentiles in this context. And one of the implications of Jesus being our peace is that he breaks down that dividing wall. And he goes on to, to give us a little bit of detail about specifically what he means by that dividing wall. There was Literally, a, a curtain that divided the temple, divided Jews and Gentiles. It could be that that is specifically what Paul has in mind, but I actually think it's broader than that. Um, one of the reasons for that is because he mentions the abolishing of laws and commands. Specifically, um, Israel was given these uh, civil and ceremonial laws. And again, these, were to, these laws were to make Israel distinct among the nations so that they would be set apart for the purpose of mission. But what Israel did is they ended up building hedges around these laws and commandments. They, they created more laws and commandments. In other words, they were legalistic. And they took what God intended to be good and for a purpose to uh, exclude. But Jesus, as our peace, he tears down that dividing wall of hostility. This isn't just a Jew and Gentile problem, is it? This has plagued the human race throughout history. And for us who live in this country, uh, it has plagued our uh, history as well. There is a stain on our history as a country when it comes to race relations. Jesus is our peace. One of the implications of that is that he has torn down the wall, dividing wall of hostility. How can it be, why is it that we are so insistent on keeping those dividing walls erected? 
This is, we must repent of this. We've shared recently that our new vision statement is, we exist to fill our diverse communities with the presence of Jesus. Uh, Our mission statement, we say that uh, we equip people who have diverse stories and backgrounds to embody God's story together in the everyday stuff of life. We long to be a church that is diverse racially, culturally. We long for it. It's a dream. It's a vision that we have. And let me say this. We're not interested in this for the optics of it. We're not interested in it um, because it's somewhat cool and popular to talk about these things in our culture to some degree, right? Changes when you actually have to live it out. But in some ways, it's popular to talk about racial reconciliation and racial inclusion and representation. However, we don't want to do this just for those reasons. We are committed to this because it's biblical. This is the vision of God for his church from beginning to end. From beginning to end, this is God's vision for his church, and it is disobedient for us to not align ourselves with it. We pursue this because of the vertical aspect of the gospel. Paul has outlined it for us here. Because the gospel is true, there are demands on you in the horizontal aspect. Now, don't get me wrong. The gospel is all about grace. It's all about freedom. You know, Paul has very carefully in this letter already outlined the gospel of grace for us, that we come into right relationship with God not based on our effort, not based on our performance, but through faith in how Jesus has performed for us. However, because of that free gospel of grace, demands are placed on our lives as followers of Jesus. And we have demands in the horizontal, the horizontal plane, as Paul is talking about here. Notice what Jesus does through breaking down this dividing wall of hostility. He creates in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see how it's deep? It goes beyond just optics. This is about unity. It's about racial and relational unity in the church. Jesus has created a new humanity. Now, this language for Paul is not the first time he's using it in this letter. And I want to take you back to chapter 1, verse 10. We keep coming back to that. But in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul um, has told us what the goal of history is. He's told us what the goal of God's church is, what God's goal is in the world. It's to unite all things in Christ. All that is broken, all that is fractured, God is at work in the world in Jesus to make it all new. And that's the goal of history. And now what Paul is doing here is he is saying that, guess what? If you don't believe that that's true, if you don't believe that it's true, that that's the goal of history, there's actually meant to be a visual picture of this, a trailer, so to speak, of coming attractions. The churches in Ephesus would have all been multi-ethnic. And so from the biblical perspective, a multi-ethnic church is the norm. 
You know, for us, it's abnormal, right? We don't see it all that often. But the church at Ephesus, for example, would have been multi-ethnic. This is the norm, biblically speaking. And it's the norm because what Paul is saying here is that how is the world going to know that Jesus is at work making all things new to himself? Well, look at these small communities of people throughout Ephesus. These people who have diverse stories of, uh, uh, and backgrounds, they've been gathered together and they're, 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 they're working hard. It's not easy. They're working hard to live in unity. Where else do you see that? And so this is a picture, a, a visual encounter with the fact that Jesus really is at work making all things new. Brothers and sisters, our world longs to see that. Consider how divided divisive and hostile our culture is. People around us are longing to see what Paul describes here. Are we willing to pursue it? Are we willing to pursue it for the glory of God? The good news keeps coming. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace those to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Access. It's what we all long for deep down inside. We want access to God. And Jesus, as our peace, gives us that access. And he gives all kinds of different people this access. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue with Jesus as the unifier, grants them access to himself by his spirit. And so Paul can say in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer outsiders. But you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. So these um, uh, uh, descriptors that Paul are using, one is, is, is more significant than the other. It goes from citizenship, which is really important, right? But then it goes on to being a part of the family, the household of God. God is saying that through Jesus, we are not just simply citizens. We are actually family members, family members who have diverse stories and backgrounds. And therefore, well, you know what it's like in your own personal families. Now, I recognize that for some of us, our personal families are so deeply damaged and broken that um, it might not be safe for you in this season to pursue reconciliation. You know? So I, I, I recognize that. But broadly speaking, I know in my own family, um, it's hard because we get annoyed with each other. There are people in my family who are obnoxious. Wait, I'm just kidding, just kidding. There are, I can tell you this for sure. There are people in my family who think I'm obnoxious. That I can safely say, right? Are we good? But it's hard. It's hard when you're in deep relationship with people because the sin comes out, selfishness comes out, all of this stuff comes out, but we're a family. And so we realize we have to work through this. Unity is the goal. This unity is not an option. So we're pursuing this. We're going to work through hard things together. It's no different in the life of the church, specifically when it comes to this vision for a multi-ethnic church. God has created a family, and families work through hard things together. 
He talks about how this, commun- this family is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, these uh, original offices of, of the church, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone of it all. And then I want you to see verses 21 and 22. In whom the whole structure is being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me ask, this, let me ask the question this way. If you were a person living in Ephesus at this time and you were not a Christian, how were you going to find God? How were you going to find God? How were you going to encounter and discover Jesus? What Paul is saying is that, again, it's through these small pockets of people who have diverse stories and backgrounds who have been vertically restored to God and are applying the good news to each other horizontally, learning to live in unity with each other despite all of the hard stuff. And people encounter that and they recognize that there's something substantial here. There's something different here. There's something unique here. And that uniqueness is Jesus Christ himself. The gospel is beautiful because the gospel tells us that we're all the same. I referenced this earlier. All the same in two basic ways. One, we're all needy, broken sinners. We all share that in common. So we can't think that we're better than the other person. Um, we, we can't think that our, our race, our class is better than somebody else's or that we have superiority because of that. And here's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus comes into our lives regardless of, of all of that, regardless of our race and ethnicity, regardless of our culture and socioeconomic status. And so really, in the end, we share these foundational things um, in common, and these foundational things help us to figure out how to live in community, how, how to pursue a unity in diversity. Because God, through Jesus, destroys the dividing walls of hostility. Because of the gospel of grace, I don't need to find my superiority in thinking that my race or my class is better than somebody else's. I've already been approved through Jesus. Do you see how the gospel is unique? Do you see how the gospel has the power to create multi-ethnic communities. Let me just end with two, based on um, the content of these verses, let me just end with two implications for us. The first is this, don't be colorblind. Don't be colorblind. It's popular sometimes to hear people say, I don't see race, I'm colorblind. That is not helpful. And it's not helpful because like, I might be able to say that based on privilege in my life. I haven't, go- I haven't experienced certain kinds of suffering in my life because of my skin color. So it's easy for me to say I don't see uh, color. But more importantly than that, God wants us to see color. God created people, uh, God created diversity. God created a beautiful humanity and made us all different so that together, as a collection of people under him, we might reflect his beauty. It's meant to be that way. And so God actually wants us to see it and to celebrate it. So don't be colorblind. Shirley Newbell says the, the alternative to saying that is be color smart. 
Be color wise. Embrace and celebrate our differences as, as we stand unified in the gospel. It's beautiful how God has designed us, she said. It's for the benefit of the church. And then the second implication is this. Do be intentional. So don't be colorblind, but do be intentional. Brian Loritz is an African-American pastor in California now, I think he is. And he said this, the reason that our churches aren't diverse is because our dinner tables aren't diverse. The reason that our churches aren't diverse is because our dinner tables aren't diverse. This is not going to happen accidentally. We are not going to become a church that honors and glorifies God in our multi-ethnicity accidentally. We are going to have to pursue it intentionally. We're going to have to make hard choices, which we've already begun to do. And it's going to demand, I said this a few weeks ago, it's going to demand everything from us. This will be hard. It's going to be really hard. Some of you are probably going to leave the church because it's going to be too hard. I pray that you don't. I pray that you walk in step with Jesus and receive his power and his grace and strength and find him uh, to, to be sufficient for you in ways that you never knew before. But this is going to be hard. We have to be intentional about it. And so I encourage you to begin not by just simply praying that on Sunday mornings we would have the optics and look more diverse, but I, I urge you to be intentional by inviting people into your home to become good listeners, to hear people's stories, to tell others your story, allow them into your life, your space, to get to know you. Be intentional. Ignorance, Brian Loritz says, ignorance festers when we live in seclusion from others. Ignorance festers when we live in seclusion from others. I, this past week, uh, Katie and I both had the joy of going to a conference um, of our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, called Beautiful Orthodoxy. And let me tell you, it was such uh, a privilege to sit under the teaching of African Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans. Uh, it was so encouraging to hear about God's diverse church and to hear these perspectives and um, these different voices. And I'm really encouraged by... Um, the denomination that we're a part of. We have, just like our um, national history, our denomination has a history that is stained because of race relations. A few years ago, however, we um, approved um, a, a statement, a resolution about racial reconciliation, which was a start. But now we are actually putting into practice real tangible ways to move forward in this. One is something that our denomination has established called the Unity Fund, which is... Uh, money that is set aside for minorities coming into, their, into our denomination to help fund their seminary. Um, I think the first year of this, there were 40 uh, scholarships that were given. Now it's, it's doubled. It's like 80. So I have hope. Uh, I have encouragement um, that God is beginning to do something in this area, at least in um, my area of the church that I can visibly see. And so this is what we want to pursue together. Let me end with this illustration. Um, 2017, um, there was the Symphony for a Broken Orchestra. Did you hear about this? It was actually in Philadelphia. Um, over the years, what had happened was cuts were being made to the uh, music, through the budgets of music departments in the Philadelphia School District. 
And therefore, they had all of these uh, instruments that were just mounting and mounting that were broken and unusable, but the money wasn't there to make the repairs. Somebody came up with the idea that they should act- we should actually use these broken instruments for good. And so a well-known composer, um, I I'm not, can't remember his name right now, came into the picture and was willing to head it up. And so they ended up having this concert with these broken instruments, this orchestra. Now, you're probably thinking, this is crazy. How did it sound? I actually don't know how it sounds. There's probably a, a YouTube video from... But what I read, it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Imagine that. Taking what is broken and what looks unusable, but using it for beauty, for glory. You know, we think that we are not up to this task. We think that we're not good enough. We think that we are inadequate. We think that we are broken. And all of those things are true. But God looks and he says, I can work with this. Because of Jesus, because my grace is so expansive, because my love is so deep, I can work with this. And what God desires for us as a church in our city is for us to, so to speak, bring our broken instruments to the table and for us to play music for God's glory. He will give us the grace that we need, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of your plan for this world, your plan of redemption. We thank you that you have seen fit to include us. We're sorry for the ways in which we have failed. We're sorry for the ways in which we have worked against your good intentions for your creation. But we thank you for the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And we pray that by your grace, you would heal us. We pray that by your grace, you would heal our wounds of division and that you would make our local church here more diverse, not just for the sake of it, but because you desire it, Father. And we long for our city to see that the gospel is real. We long for our city to see that Jesus is beautiful and believable. So help us in your purposes to achieve that. We pray for your glory. Amen.